Good morning, church. Today, you can turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11 and hold that ready. That's the scripture that we'll be working out of for today, Mark chapter 11. Uh, you know, I love summertime. Summertime is, uh, man, it, it, it's warm and it's uh, fun spending time outside of doors. Um, up until today, it was more than warm. It was hot, but we got a break from the heat today. Uh, usually, you know, we like to spend time under the trees. At my house, we, we don't have AC. Well, we do have AC, but it's outside, and I haven't stuck it in the window yet. Haven't had time, but I will someday. But So you spend time underneath the trees uh, to keep cool because the shade. You know, trees also provide uh, something that we call fruit. And much like the fruit that Howard was just telling about, the grapes, uh, you know, uh, Becky Mivis, she has, um, well, she's not here today, it doesn't look like, she, she has cherry trees. You guys have cherry trees at your house. And, and my daughters love to go over to the Mivis' house and pick these cherries uh, every year off of the tree because they taste so good. And as they're picking them, they're putting them in the buckets and fill up the bowls to bring home and make pies and things. I mean, you know, probably half of the cherries go inside of their bellies instead of the buckets. Uh, they're so delicious. Um, fruit trees are just amazing. Growing up um, in our yard, we had an apple tree and we had a pear tree, and I spent many hours underneath of those trees just eating the fruit. And my mom and dad would, would uh, warn me, don't eat too many of them green apples, son. They will adversely affect you. And I don't really remember necessarily those reactions, but I did eat a lot of them. You know, some cities are now planting fruit trees as part of their landscaping in order to provide free food for those who can't afford to eat healthy. That sounds like a good idea, right? Um, you guys, do you know those ornamental fruit trees? Like, uh, they're called Bra- Bradford pear trees. Um, you know, sometimes they're, they can be uh, crab apple trees or um, peach trees. I was showing uh, Flint, he asked me what a tree was the other day. I said, that, that's a pear tree. He said, Dad, it doesn't have any pears on it. Said, well, it's still a pear tree. And he didn't believe me because it didn't have any fruit on it. But there are these uh, fruit trees that are ornamental. They were designed for looks, um, not for their fruit. Well, evidently, these ornamental uh, pear trees, ornamental fruit trees in some places, have crossbred with regular fruit trees and they make this awkward, invasive species that make nasty, rotten fruit. And it makes the animals in the area that eat these fruit, it makes them sick. It's kind of weird. Now there's a big push to convince people not to plant these uh, artificial pear trees because of that. Now, on my property, we've tried to grow some fruit trees, and everything stands in the way, goats and deer and uh, you know, kids running over them with the lawnmower or me. Uh, lots of things stand in the way. Um, we've never really succeeded except for the volunteer mulberry tree that growed up on its own. Uh, we do have one apple tree that has survived everything. And it's, it's one of the real apple trees. It's not a, at least the package when we planted it said that it wasn't an ornamental one. But it's been blooming for about four years, and it has not produced apples yet. 
We've pruned it and everything. It kind of reminds me of that tree that Jesus cursed in Mark chapter 11. Let's pray before we get into this word. Father God, I thank you so much for your word, for your son, for the things that we are taught through what he did with the disciples and the folks there at that time when he was on earth. Lord, I thank you for the parables that he taught us. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to his word right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 11, verse 11 through 14. Verse 11. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with twelve, the twelve disciples. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. Here we have a tree, full leaf. And it doesn't have fruit when Jesus wants fruit. And he says, May you never have fruit again. I mean, wow. Just thinking about that story and thinking about what happened there, Jesus seems a little bit on edge. The the little tree doesn't have fruit, so he up and curses it. Now it'll never have fruit, for crying out loud. it It was too early in the season for the tree to actually bear fruit, the scripture says. At least, at least that's a little side note that Mark gives us. When Matthew relays this same story about Jesus cursing the fruit tree, he doesn't record that it was too early in the season for it to actually have fruit. He doesn't mention anything about that growing season. But you know, this is a clue in understanding what this seemingly obscure story that actually happened actually means. When a particular piece of scripture seems out of place, like why did Jesus curse that tree, this tree when it, uh, because it didn't have fruit when it wasn't actually time for it to have fruit, when it seems out of place, it can be helpful to know some interpretation, interpretation tips, some ways that we interpret this context. Uh, first is actually the context. So what is before this uh, scripture and what is behind it note that the text says the next morning as they were leaving beth and jesus was hungry the next morning so what happened just before this morning well it's the triumphant entry as we would call it is when jesus comes into town and uh, people are all around and they are praising him Hosanna, people are waving palm branches for their king. And notice that Jesus' destination is the temple. That's the first place that he goes. Comes into town, straight to the temple. And notice Jesus noticing everything that is going on. This is in preparation for the Passover celebration. 
So after looking around, the scripture says, carefully looking at everything, he left. The night before the fig tree encounter, Jesus looks around carefully at everything. And then he goes back to Bethany. Now looking at the text after Jesus curses the fig tree, we see that he is back in Jerusalem at the temple. He goes back to the temple and we see what had him so ticked off that he cursed the fig tree the day before. Chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, The scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When God, as the son Jesus, visited his house, the temple, he was enraged by what he found. The priests, the ones who were supposed to be representing him and performing duties to bring people closer to God, were actually hindering people from coming to God. They were doing it in order to make money for themselves. Instead of a house of prayer, it was the bank of the religious elites. And they were profiting from the Roman politics at the expense of the poor, the foreigners, and the Gentiles, all of whom God wanted the Israelites to welcome into the house of God and into his family of worshipers. Jesus, at this point, quoted Isaiah 56 when he rebuked the leaders and cleansed or cleared the temple. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 6 through 8. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him. He says, I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem, and I will fill them with my with joy in my house of prayer I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called the house of prayer for all nations for the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says I will bring others too besides my people Israel after Jesus cleanses the temple it was our man Peter's turn to notice something We know Peter. Peter is this guy that's uh, so excited to follow Jesus that sometimes he trips up and does it in the wrong way. And so Peter is there and he's wide-eyed and open to what's going on and he notices something. Verse 20 of chapter 11, The next morning, as they passed the fig tree, he had cursed, Jesus had cursed, the disciples noticed that it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. This is another key to interpretation. It's pretty neat that Peter recognizes this and calls it back up to 
Jesus. And the key of this very little detail being laid out in our scripture after is called an inclusio. Now, you don't need to remember that name. That's, uh, that's just a word that means it, it, it's part of the context of bookending what's in between it. The cleansing of the temple uh, is, is began and followed, bookended, if you will, by the fig tree. The cleansing of the temple is sandwiched between these two mentionings of the fig tree. And the fig tree is somehow related to what occurred in the temple. Now how does the fig tree, Jesus cursing it, making it not bear fruit. How does that relate to Jesus becoming angry and turning over tables inside of the temple? Well, we're about to find out. But a third key that we can use to interpret what should what we should take away from a particular scripture is to find an earlier passage of scripture that talks about the same subject. Regarding the fig tree, we can go to Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. This is a parable. <clears throat> this is not an actual happening. Jesus made specifically made this story for us to understand something. Its purpose is to teach us. Then Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in the garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, you can cut it down. In this story, Jesus is giving us a warning. He's giving his hearers a warning. And he states it plainly. Just before he tells this story, in Luke chapter 13, verse 5, he says, I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Right before he tells this story, repent or you will perish Jesus came to this world that you and I live on right now with a message. It's the same message that our man Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. That is the message. Jesus preached for three years passionately wanting Israel to return to him and to be saved from judgment. In the parable... The gardener said to the fig tree, let's give it one more chance. After, after I give it special attention, then if it does not produce fruit, then you can cut it down. And when Jesus is teaching this parable at this time, before the encounter with the actual fig tree, a certain amount of time, he speaks of one more chance for repentance. But instead of repenting, after each interaction with Jesus, the religious leaders became more and more hard-hearted. As Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, the triumphant entry, uh, 
He knew he was heading towards the cross. It was judgment time. After looking carefully at everything going on that night at the temple, Jesus walked out with his disciples following him. This time, story time is over. Not another parable, but the actual act of cursing the fig tree so that it cannot produced fruit now Jesus walked right up to that tree and he did what many of the prophets in the Old Testament did we call this a prophetic sign act and they can be pretty wild and crazy and there is lots of them in the Old Testament scripture and I don't have time today to tell them all but I want to give you a few of them Isaiah chapter 20 verse 2 This is about Isaiah. The Lord told Isaiah, take off the burlap you have been wearing and remove your sandals. Isaiah did as he was told and walked around naked and barefoot. (laughs) Now why? Why? Well, because in verse 4, the king of Assyria is about to take away the Egyptians and the Ethiopians as prisoners. He will make them walk naked and barefoot, both young and old, their buttocks bared to the shame of Egypt. It's going to happen to the people. And God has Isaiah do the very thing. It's dramatic. It's to get their attention. Look what's going to happen to you guys. Listen to the Lord. Prophet Isaiah You know, uh, another time, uh, our man uh, Jeremiah in the Old Testament, he has this story, uh, there's a story of God telling him what to do with a loincloth. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a linen loincloth and put it on and do not wash it. So Jeremiah bought a loincloth just as the Lord directed and he put it on. Sounding kind of weird, right? Then the Lord gave me another message. Take the linen loincloth that you are wearing and go to the Euphrates River and hide it there in a hole. Bury it. So I went and hid it in the Euphrates River as the Lord had instructed me. A long time afterward, the Lord said to me, go back to the Euphrates River and get the loincloth that I told you to hide there. So uh, Jeremiah did. He dug it out of the hole where he'd hid it. And now it was rotting and falling apart. The loincloth was good for nothing. Then I received this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. This shows how I will rot away the pride of Judah and Jerusalem. These wicked people refuse to listen to me. They stubbornly follow their own desires and worship other gods. Therefore they will become like this loincloth. Good for nothing. As a loincloth clings to a man's waist, so I created Judah and Israel to cling to me, says the Lord. They were to be my people, my pride, my glory, and an honor to my name, but they would not listen to me. The prophet Jeremiah, uh, doing exactly as God telling him, the loincloth is no good when it is rotten. The Lord uses situations like this all through the Old Testament. Jesus here 
is doing the same thing. A prophetic sign act. He cursed the fig tree and it withered and died as a sign of what would happen to Israel or to any one of us who do not repent and turn to God. John the Baptist says in Luke chapter 3 that fruit is the evidence of repentance. Fruit. Being descendants of Abraham didn't get Israel a free pass, just like going to church won't give us a free pass. Marking the box that says Christian on your passport isn't good enough either. Owning a Bible doesn't prove anything. And if you've truly repented from your rebellion against God and accepted Jesus, then there will be fruit. Visible, tangible evidence. God should find fruit in your life. If there is this if there is no evidence, no fruit like Israel, then we are in danger of judgment. Now what about the fact that it wasn't season for figs? It wasn't time for the tree to put on figs. It doesn't sound fair for the poor little fig tree. And when Jesus came to it, he required fruit. And Well, honestly... It didn't matter that it was a bad time for the fig tree. The Lord made the fig tree. And the Lord can use the fig tree for whatever he wants, including using it to teach us a lesson. So the fig tree is an example for us. Hey, we don't know when Jesus will come again. It might be a good time. Or it might be a bad time. And we don't know when we might die. It might be a good time or it might be a bad time. Is there a good time to die? Or a bad time to die? Well, I think for us Christians, those of us who put our faith in Jesus, then, well, any time could be a good time. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, To keep watch, for you don't know what day the Lord is coming. We don't know what day. So we must keep watch. The fig tree, good day or bad day, Jesus came and required fruit. The significance of this is that today is the day of salvation. Today, when you hear Jesus' voice, Jesus' word, don't harden your heart. Don't wait. James says, chapter 4, verse 14, How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. It's also interesting to note that Peter remembered that Jesus had cursed the fig tree. He noticed that it had withered, and so he mentioned it to Jesus. And Jesus' response when Peter mentioned it to him is also kind of unique. It's about prayer. Jesus doesn't explain why he used the little fig tree. He goes directly to prayer. Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 26 
Then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, You may be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Have faith in God. He turns it to prayer. When Jesus cleanses the temple, turns over the tables, and drives them out, he remarks that his temple was to be a house of prayer for all nations. He doesn't address the fact that the tree is withered and dead. He expresses the importance of faith in prayer. Now, to tie all this together, uh, faith without works or fruit is dead. And prayer is the connection that taps into the power of the Holy Spirit to produce this fruit. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Folks, it is not enough just to have the works that look vibrant and alive like a leafy little fig tree. You have as many leaves and looking vibrant and as live as we can, but it's not enough. You must also produce the fruit, which is, by the way, Scripture tells us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's not enough to go through the motions like what was happening at the temple with sacrifices being empty worship our faith and our prayer should produce results results that are visible it's like seeing a mountain thrown into the sea basically that's like our pride being cast out of our hearts in addition we are to remember to forgive others so that God may lavish his forgiveness upon us. So now let's all pull this together and get some points out of us. What can we learn from the cursed fig tree? Well, number one, we can take notice. God, is God unhappy with some something in your life? Is he uh, unsatisfied with something that you are doing? Uh, What habit or thought or attitude has he warned you about? Let's just call it sin. Has he warned you about sin? What sin do you need to repent of today? God will judge the unrepentant. Second point, 
we can learn from the cursed fig tree is to pray in faith. God can move mountains if you ask him to. You may feel like whatever God has wanted you to do, uh, to repent of, is too hard to overcome. But it's not. Whatever, Scripture says, is uh, causing us to fall, to stumble, give it over to God, and He will give us the strength to get through it. Uh, Your mountain may be a temper, or an addiction, or a conflict with your spouse, or maybe money issues, or maybe a habit, or a thought, or an attitude. If Jesus has asked you to remove it, He will give you the power to do it. And trust Jesus to be your faithful high priest. He's not like the high priests in the temples, the money changers who are more concerned with making a profit than offering the sacrifices to God. Jesus paid the cost himself in order for you to come boldly before the throne of God to receive his mercy and grace. And thirdly, produce fruit. Leaves nourish the plant itself, but fruit nourishes others. Does that make sense? We can uh, look great. We can have the leaves and just seem like we ourselves are doing everything, but the leaves uh, don't really do much. Uh, Leaves for a fig tree uh, soak up sunlight and help it grow. But the fruit from a fig tree feeds others, feeds people, feeds animals. The fruit that comes out of our lives in following Jesus feeds others. It is good for our communities, for our families, good for the kingdom of God. Speaking of the kingdom of God, God wants us to bring others into his kingdom and he wants us to use he wants to use us to do that. So we must bear fruit. All other religious practices and traditions are not what give life. If we become more attached to our practices than we are to Jesus, our works will prove to be fruitless. We must stay connected to Jesus to bear fruit. The best scripture about bearing fruit, I think, comes from John chapter 15. Jesus says, Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want. And it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. In verse 16, Jesus tells us, You didn't choose me, I chose you. Before before we even had a chance, folks, Jesus chose us. He says, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Let's bear fruit. 
bear fruit today by sharing hope with our community through love and service, by depending upon the Holy Spirit through faith and prayer. One last verse for today. Philippians chapter 1, verse 11. A blessing, a, an encouragement, a, a motivation for us all to put into practice. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. I hope that we can understand that this this fig tree that Jesus curses, that we cannot let that be in vain, that we can understand it for what it is, that we are to bear fruit so that others can benefit from that, that if our lives uh, get bent and, and get messed up, then he is here to straighten it out for us. And all we must do is to come to him And to ask him to help us to repent to him. And that's what it takes. It's not hard. It's not impossible. We start living a life following him and producing fruit. Before we pray, I want to invite anyone who hasn't made that step yet to put their faith in the Lord to, to do that today. Because the time will come soon and we don't know when that is let's pray Lord I thank you so much for your word I thank you for the opportunity to read it and to study it Uh, Lord sometimes it doesn't make sense Uh, God uh, help us to understand it in, in an application way God that we could put it into play in our lives we could use it Uh, that's what your scripture is for Lord you tell us that it is for for our goods to help us, to teach us, to rebuke us. And Lord, we open ourselves up to that. I praise you for everyone who is here today, God, and ask that you would continue to guide us as a family of believers. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.